I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Beauty Bosses. I have three amazing guests here today the three women of Scopes and Scrubs, who are all young medical students at New York University here in the city, and the next generation of amazing doctors, female doctors in this country. So can you guys introduce yourselves? Yes, hello, I'm Marisol. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Juliana. And we're Scopes and Scrubs. (laughs) We did not plan that at all. And tell um, tell us what you guys want to be and what stage in med school you're in. Okay, so we are three MD-PhD students. We are actually on our third year of the MD-PhD program, which means we just started, we finished our first years of medical school, and now we're on our first year of graduate school. Um, I want to pursue a career in neurosurgery and neuroscience. Um, Yeah, so I'm doing my PhD in stem cell biology in the skeletal stem cell lab. It's an orthopedic surgery lab. Um, I'm thinking along the lines of surgery. Um, I'm really interested in orthopedic surgery right now because that's what I'm studying, so we'll see though. And so I'm also doing my PhD in stem cell biology, and I'm in the department of plastic surgery, and I really like the field, um, so we'll see, but... Um, you guys yeah, share definitely. something in common. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm biased. You know, well, Actually, I think all of those fields are so amazing, and the thing I think that's so cool about you is that you are all amazing, intelligent, gifted female future surgeons because when I was coming of age as a plastic surgeon and I was in your shoes, I felt like I didn't have enough role models to look up to. And so I was curious if you guys feel that way and, you know, I was just reading that now over 50% of incoming medical students in the United States are women. So like, how is that? (laughs) What is it like now? That's so true. Tell us about that. What is it like to be you know, a woman medical student. So I think in our classes now, we do see that. We do see that a lot of our classmates are female and that is growing. So this is a second year where most of the incoming MD class is female. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I still want to say it's hard to find mentors that are female, especially in the MD, PhD. Like you're probably one of our like yeah. role models yeah. and someone that we look <laughs> exactly. up to just like yeah. all around. But it's really hard. Like we should have a list of the of like a bunch of mentors that we should have, and it's hard. I think Instagram is a great platform now these days to find mentors because that's how we found you. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with our blog, um, is trying to be mentors for younger people who are interested in going to medical school and MD PhD degrees. Mm-hmm. Totally, because medicine is such an amazing profession, and that like that's been my experience. I'm curious what you guys have to say, but it's a really amazing profession for connecting with other people and helping other people in a very tangible way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you like best about medicine? I like that. Every, well, I can only I can speak to medical school, and I think yeah. um, my experience in medical school every day was exciting. I was excited to get up every day and see what we had to learn about, and then having, we'd, we'd even have patient interactions in our first year and then going into the clinic and meeting a patient and then they would say they had this disease and you've been studying it and it comes to life. Um, so there's just so many things to learn and just so many different interesting things that um, I think every day is exciting. That's why I like mm-hmm. the most. When did you decide that you wanted to be a doctor? 
So growing up, my dad's a physician, so I was always um, exposed to medicine. Um, and then during school, I just really liked my science classes, so I kind of gravitated towards it. Um, and then went into undergrad, um, doing the pre-medical requirements. And, and then what are, yeah, let's, for, for people who are listening, a lot of people listening to this podcast are, you know, interested in career paths. So what, what are the pre-med requirements? What do you have to do to be a doctor? So I think that they're always changing the exact classes that you want to take. So my advice is to always go to medical schools that you're inter- interested in, um, their websites, and look at the exact classes that they want you to take. I think those requirements are getting less stringent because they want people to kind of be able to explore what they want to during undergrad and take the classes that interest them. But I definitely would make sure that you go on websites of the schools that you're interested in. Yeah, they're mostly like health sciences classes, like biology, chemistry, physics, Mm -hmm. those are requirements. Right. Um, But they... Organic chemistry. Organic chemistry. You're going to have to take Calculus, English. Yes, Yes. of course. Yeah. And then, but nowadays, like some of those restrictions, like, Juliana was saying are not that hard so because okay. they're trying to open it up to like a broader um, stu- like audience of students so they want people in philosophy they want people with English majors and stuff like that and like we see that in our like our classmates yeah. come yeah. from all these different types of majors not just like chemistry and biology yeah. which it's is the say, you, you can still do a science major and exactly <laughs> it's I mean, gonna help you but for yeah. sure yeah I was an English major mm-hmm. but did yeah. all of those courses and exactly yeah um, Back when I was in school, organic chemistry was like the ultimate weed out class. Was yeah. that still yeah. your experience? Um, actually, um, Julie and I both went to Columbia, and the weed out class there is biology because it's taught by this legendary professor. She's incredible, but it's very difficult and very demanding. So that's our weird, weird like weed out class, which is yeah. kind yeah. of interesting. I but. think for us it was organic chemistry, yeah. and then also it's there's a study that says that it's very predictive of how well you do in standardized exams. So just generally, if you don't do that well in organic chemistry, I'm not trying to like slow down anyone if they're, they didn't do that well, or I'm not trying to discourage you if you didn't do well, but people that tend, like score well in it tend to also score very highly on the entrance exam to medical school, which is the MCAT. You know what's huh. funny? Um, I heard this statistic when I was in residency that the way to best predict someone's performance as a surgical resident is how complete and how timely they were in submitting their enrollment paperwork. Oh, I totally <laughs> the first week of residency. Like, whoever does their job completely, neatly, and on time, and gets it signed, sealed, and delivered, they're going to be an awesome circle. I really like the stats. I love Let's give it a step one. <laughs> I didn't apply my first... You usually apply, like, the summer of your junior year, and I didn't apply the beginning of junior year because, you know, some timing thing happened. And so I waited an extra year to apply... And I think maybe that's why I'm going to be a surgeon. Maybe. Maybe that's why, because I applied right on time the next year. Sure, right on that June 1st day. Okay, so take <laughs> us through the average day in the life of a medical student. And I'll give the caveat mm-hmm. that in, in asking this question that classically medical school is four years and the first two years are classroom-based and the second two years are on the wards. Yes. Um, so take us through like a day in one of the first two years. So... Um, I think every now medical school, um, they've really like adapted to technology. So a lot of the classes are recorded and then they'll be online. So different people have different strategies. I guess Julie and I had a similar strategy. Marisol had another. So we can I think it's important that everyone that. knows that Lindsay and Juliana are twins. Yes. <laughs> this is a very important. So the stories might sound a little similar. Um, but so for me, a typical medical school day, the classes start at nine. Um, the first lecture would be we do different things in different units. So say we were in a cardiology unit, we'd have a cardiology-based lecture, 
then we'd have um, a little bit of a break, maybe an hour and 30 minutes, and then have the next class. Um, but you sit, it's kind of like elementary school, you sit um, in the same room, and then the teacher just changes out. Um, and then um, maybe we'd have um, a seminar, a, a seminar um, like an, um, so, yeah. so a smaller based. group, problem-based yeah. learning. So um, you'd have like a case, um, his name is cardiology, um, it'd be a patient coming in, they give you the whole scenario, and we try to come up with a diagnosis, and then... Treatment um, options. Yeah, we that. have a physician in there kind of leading the discussion. Um, and sometimes we would also have a patient in there, like just talking about their experience with whatever clinical problem they had, right. which is very nice. And so basically it's like every day, all day, you're in school. But it's a little and different. So that's their approach. So they also record lectures nowadays. And I was one of the students that preferred to watch these lectures at my own time in my own place. So I would decide whether I would go to uh, the library to like read these lectures or go to a coffee shop or just do them at home. I felt like that was just like the more efficient way for me to work. I am not the person that wakes up like very excited to go to class I rather get some work done in the morning like something in lab maybe and then like in the afternoon tackle these lectures and so I think nowadays medical school is made in a way that's very flexible depending on the kind of student you are you can succeed because you don't have to follow this like straight path like you don't have to go like nine to ten lecture blah 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 you can basically you have all the tools there you have to show up to seminars but after that you can learn whatever way you want so I wanted to also ask you guys some questions about being women in surgery because, you know, in my experience, it's a very demanding profession. Yeah. And um, I think it is so amazing that you guys are going into this field because to me, surgery is the most amazing profession in the world. It's like, you know, you're thinking with your mind and you're working with your hands, you're speaking, you're interacting, you, you're sort of being a whole person every single day and you have to be extremely present to be a great surgeon. But I know when I was um, going through this same process, it gave me a lot of pause to figure out, like, do I have to choose between having a career in surgery and having a family and, you know, not to bury the lead, but I have six kids and I'm surgeon. So <laughs> I'm like, staring so at them can, right now. <laughs> so you can definitely do it. I just wonder what kind of messaging you guys are getting. Cause so I went to medical school at Johns Hopkins in, I graduated in 2007 from mm-hmm. medical school. So it was, you know, not yesterday, but not that long ago. And the messaging I was getting at the time was, you know, I had a really nice mentor of mine tell me to, you know, just marry a doctor. And instead of, instead of becoming one. So I'm just wondering what kind of messaging you guys got. So it's definitely something I've thought about. Um, I think more so as I get older. Um, but I feel like for me, it's seeing mentors like you who can do it and are persevering and um, seeing a resident who's family planning or is pregnant. Um, that makes me hopeful and makes me think I can do it too. Um, but not to say that attitude is not still out there about female and surgery and how are you going to balance it. I was talking to another medical student from a different school and she said to me, you want to be a surgeon? How do you ever think you're going to be a good surgeon if you want to have a family? And I said, I know plenty of gifted surgeons um, who have families. Uh, so I think it's an attitude that's still out there, but people like you are changing it. Yeah, my pre-health advisor um, at undergrad told me, like, don't you want to have kids when I was like telling him that I wanted to apply to an MD PhD program so that's definitely still out there and it's something just like being humans that we think about like we know currently like if you want to be a surgeon you're devoting a lot of your time to your job 
Um, but I think if it's something that you really want, you can basically do whatever you want. Like you can tailor your career to accommodate the things that you like. And like, I mean, we're doing an MD PhD, but we're here, we're here on this podcast. We're making the time to do things that we enjoy outside of medicine, outside of research. And I think just having the drive and like learning how to organize your time so you can basically be whoever you want to be is, is something that we've learned and we've learned it from mentors and people that we looked up to. That's great. So after medical school, surgeons go through what's called residency and fellowship training. And that is basically where you are a real practicing doctor and surgeon, but you're working in an apprenticeship model in typically a big university or teaching hospital. And in a level appropriate way, you're doing more and more surgical skills and patient care skills um, with direct supervision. Um, But that's basically how you become who you want to be. Um, and one thing that I was taught during residency that really helped me figure out balance was that, you know, there are three main things to think about during residency, um, yourself, your family and friends and studying. And on any given day, you can attend to two of the three needs and you have to just like pick. So, um, but you can't do all three. And so in the yourself category, includes like everything from like, washing your hair to doing your laundry to like going to the gym to your dentist like yourself is like sort of takes up a disproportionate amount of the, um, the real estate yeah but um what are you most excited about or worried about in terms of residency I think I'm definitely excited to have uh, more of this time, uh, clinical time. I think that'll be exciting because it's kind of this apprenticeship model, um, getting to be in the OR more, um, taking on more responsibility, which is both scary and exciting at the same time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think as you move towards your like career goals, um, you start going from like, so in, in college, for example, you're learning all these like very broad ideas of like chemistry and uh, biology and then in medicine you're you get even more interested in the field because you're talking about patients and a bunch of like clinical diseases um, and then finally in residency you're doing exactly what like all these years have kind of built up for and I think that's what makes it very special mm-hmm. that yes you have a lot of uh, time that goes into this but you're also kind of it, it gets a, it gets a point that you're kind of in love with the field that you're doing and in love with the work that it's not I guess it's hard yeah what made you guys start scopes and scrubs So we all kind of um, saw the need um, on Instagram for um, an account that was kind of representative of what we did and what we love. Um, There's definitely accounts out there like you that we could follow that were medicine-based and health-based, but we wanted to share our student perspective um, as MD-PhD students. So um, we became friends. We're all the same year at the same school, so that's how we became friends. And then um, we thought naturally we should... um, create this Instagram um, together to share our experience as mm-hmm. MD-PhD students living in New York. Um, yeah, we noticed that there was like this gap in the social media world that really doesn't represent science, medicine, and career women, for example. Um, and so we, like Lindsay was saying, like we wanted to show our lives so people are like know what people in science and medicine do. But we also realized that we were very lucky to have mentors along our way. So we, the three of us didn't know that an MD-PhD program existed until like later on in college. And that was because we had mentors that gave us this information and prepared us to apply to an MD-PhD program. But we are also aware that a lot of people don't have access to these resources or access to these mentors. And we thought Instagram was the perfect platform. It's a global platform that 
we have even international followers that ask us for advice of what an MD-PhD program, how to apply. And so if you look at our website, if you look at our Instagram page, we have provide students with resources. And that was like another thing that we wanted to include in Scopes and Scrubs. Yeah, and I think also for people that may not even be in science and medicine, I think science and medicine can be kind of mysterious to people who are not in the field. So I think even for those people who follow us that may not have a career in either of those fields, um, it's exciting for them to kind of see what we do on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis and what happens in a research lab and what happens as a medical student. Um, and yeah. That's awesome. What advice do you have for anyone who's listening to this podcast who is thinking about mm -hmm. going to medical school That's or a career in surgery? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so my dad, so uh, Juliana mentioned uh, our dad's a physician, he's a radiologist, and he used to always say to me, I'd get discouraged um, in college, I'd get a bad grade on a test, or I'd, I just wouldn't like a course I was taking, and I'd be like, I don't even know, I don't know if medicine's for me, and he'd say, um, it's a marathon, not a sprint, and I always find myself saying that because um, he asked, is this something you really want to do, and I said, yes, I do really like it. And he said, then you can do it. It's just every, it's the hard work you're putting in every day, not one single action that's going to define um, what you want to do. Um, so if you just keep going, um, and if medicine is mm -hmm. something you really want to do, you can do it. Um, just keep going. If you do poorly on one test, make up for it um, with another test or with your extracurriculars. So that would be my advice. <laughs> I currently work with one of the top neuroscientists, and he said something the other day that was, Along the lines of like failures don't exist everything that you think that you failed at is just a new opportunity for you to redirect your path in something that might have worked even better for you and he literally said this last week and every single day this week i'm like wow that actually means a lot like in science especially now that we're doing our phd work there's weeks in lab that everything works out and then there's weeks in labs where nothing works out and i think it's just thinking of this whole delayed gratification of this the long term like even though this week the data wasn't there i learned xyz and i think that's the mentality that as a future doctor as a future scientist you should be thinking that this failure might set me off in a different path but it's the learning that is going to push me to where i want to be in the future yeah okay mm -hmm. that's really amazing um well i am so happy that you guys made it on the podcast despite your busy <laughs> schedules and um and i hope that anyone who's listening to this um looks to you guys as role models because not only are you doing well and working hard towards your dreams but i think we all inherit implicit biases about you know what a police officer looks like or what a preschool teacher looks like or what a surgeon looks like mm -hmm. and even the most progressive among us even the people who don't fit the mold we, we all have an existence in this zeitgeist where we feel the vibe of these repeated images in our subconscious mind so I think that um, the face of medicine and surgery is changing and um, and I think that it's a field that can be amazing for anyone, regardless of your gender, age, background, mm -hmm. you know, geographic location or mission or place in life. I think that um, there's so many amazing things that that you can do to heal the human body, um, but also help people. Um, and to me, the most amazing thing about surgery is that even though 
it's based on big ideas and you guys in your PhD program are helping to come up with the science side of what is going to guide clinical guidelines, it's really an N equals one profession because on some level you're the surgeon and you have your patient and it's your hands and your decisions that are affecting them and staying with them forever. So it's a huge responsibility and I am so, I feel so fortunate to trust you guys with taking care of my generation. No pressure. <laughs> don't screw it up. You better study hard. Make sure you uh, study hard so that you can take care of um, all of us when we need you. Thank you so much. We want to say thank you so much. You've been such a role model and just inspiration for us and it's just an honor to be here with you and to have the opportunity to get to know you and um, just to see what a female surgeon can look like has just meant the world to us so thank you so much. (laughs)